There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. I can play football. coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Christopher Carter here along with me is Jeff Hartman and we are bringing you tonight's special episode of the black and gold blitz from behind the steel curtain.com it's a beautiful evening here in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania 9 p.m. 904 to be exact on the east coast I would like to introduce to you my good friend Jeff Hartman Jeff buddy how are you doing well, two good things. Obviously, about the Penguins, we're going to talk about that a lot. But you know what's great about tonight? The Pirates can't lose because they're not even playing. That's what's great about tonight. <laughs> I figured you'd say something along those lines. Like, two things. What else happened? <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a special edition of the uh, Black and Gold Blitz. We have. We, we Last night, the Pittsburgh Penguins did it. They closed it out in game six uh, in, a, in, a gr- in, great, in great fashion. They came out. They played hard, won, won the Stanley Cup. They're Stanley Cup champions for the fourth time, um, and uh, they, they, they won in San Jose. It was a beautiful win. Man, Pittsburgh went kind of nuts. It wasn't as big as, uh, as it would have been had they been in game five because literally – the entire, like, the downtown area of Pittsburgh. They were showing, like, the, the over-the-top views. But, I mean, I, I, was, I worked downtown, and literally, like, around noon, you saw people, like, just carrying lawn chairs, like, getting off of buses from all around the city and carrying lawn chairs over to consoles so they can get their spot. And you couldn't move past that part of town, which is, like, they call it uptown where, where, where console is. It's, uh, it's pretty it – was, it was insane. And they, it was so big, they had to set up a, another screen – at Market Square, uh, next to the PNC Tower, and all it was just—I'd never seen anything like it. Um, but people still got their party on last night. You know, the South Side was was jumping, Oakland was jumping a little bit downtown. The people, 
But it was a it was a really cool scene to see. I was out in Shady Side. Uh, it didn't get too rowdy around there. People got uh, were pretty excited in the bars. But uh, but it, it was a great time. Uh, Jeff, I gotta ask you this question, man. How what did you do when you went to work today? Did you like did you like as you've been in 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 Maryland and around all those Cavs fans? Were you just smiling ear to ear? Did you say anything this time, or you just like just walk around with a Stanley Cup shirt? Well, I didn't have a Stanley Cup shirt, but I wore the shirt I've been wearing all playoffs, which is just a plain black T-shirt with just a giant Penguins logo on the front. There's no name on the back. It's just a – and I wore it today, and when I saw those Caps fans, all I had to do was look at them. I pointed to the shirt, and then they rolled their eyes and probably said something under their breath, and all I said was, fourth cut, baby. And then a couple of them <laughs> would have the – a couple of them have the audacity to try and come at me with, oh, they're lucky, and Ovechkin's still better. And immediately I go with, well, how many Stanley Cups has Alex Ovechkin won? And they say, well, none. <laughs> well, how many gold medals has he won? Well, none. How about juniors? None. How many Conn Smythe? None. Heart trophies. It's like, it can go on and on. You know, I mean, I think that uh, yep. let's, let's – this is a perfect segue into the Conn Smythe discussion. Um, and those that don't know that might be listening, the Conn Smythe trophy is given to the playoff MVP – it does not have to go to the winning team. It can go um, more often. There's been several occasions in the NHL where it's gone to a, team, a player from the losing team, and it went to the captain, Sidney Crosby. I predicted this. Uh, you can ask my brother. Texted him uh, with the waning minutes of the game. Said that Crosby's going to get the con tonight. He thought it was going to go to Kessel. Crosby deserves this, and for more than one reason. But the main reason is that he was dominant the entire playoffs, not just in this series, the entire playoffs from start to finish. He was very consistent. And a lot of people want to uh, obviously connect points to consistency, but that's not the case with with Sidney Crosby. What he does on the ice in terms of puck possession, passing, um, just really smart, intelligent plays. And and ultimately, the the maturation process with him, now now that he's in his late 20s, has been very impressive. I thought Sidney Crosby was a great choice. I thought it was the right choice. I think you could have made a case for Phil Kessel. You could have made a case for Matt Murray. Um, some even said Nick Benino. I didn't think so so much in the finals. Chris, what were your thoughts on the Conn Smythe Trophy? Did you think it was worthy of Crosby? Or I'm glad I should say, do you think someone else should have gotten the award? I see. Here's my thing. I don't think there's any crime in giving it to Crosby. You know, a lot of people were getting on him because he wasn't scoring all the time and, you know, he wasn't being like the super superstar, you know, as far as the goals. But when he was being a super superstar was like you said, he was like leading those possessions. There were some of the most insane passes that I, that I've seen from him. There was a, there was a no look back. Uh, he had no look passing it behind him right to Hornquist. It was a great save on the part of Jones. Um, but it was, I think it was in the second period. I just, I couldn't believe it. Like I didn't recognize it at first. I just, I just saw that he got the shot off. But when they showed the replay, Crosby literally just skates past the goal, no look passes it like it's nothing, and all of a sudden, uh, all, all of a sudden, Hornquist had had the puck and he was shooting, and it was just like that. That kind of stuff is insane. That kind of stuff is what you see out of out of great players. And a lot of people, you know, were down on Crosby for it, but at the same time, I mean, he played great. He was hustling. He was he was all over the place. He was leading. You saw him lead. You know, they he did not give in to any of the cheap shots. You know, and when Burns would hit him later, they would they would cross check him in the back. They'd knock his helmet. You didn't see him get get in there. He just kept grinding away, and uh, he, he let his team to victory. And that's what captains do. And I think for that reason, there's no, there's there's no problem with giving him that award. But at the same time, 
definitely a case for Phil Kessel. He, he was he was the man all throughout the playoffs. So many times when they when the when the Penguins called upon him, he was he was there to answer the call. Uh, and then the same and then the same thing goes for Matt Murray. He had some rough games here and there. Um, you know, game uh, game five, he you know he had the, he had a horrible first period and then picked it up for the, for the rest of the game. But uh, but you, but you know what? He he's very much every part of this championship championship team as Sidney Crosby or Phil Kessel. If you had picked either three of them, I would have been okay with that. Um, and, and this, I don't think, I don't think the guy I'm about to say deserved it, but I will say that he. It's funny that he's an unsung hero of the NBA Finals, but Evgeny Malkin really kicked it into super high gear uh, in these in these last in in, in, this, in these last few weeks of the playoffs. And yeah, you just saw him flying all over the place. It was just a it was just a shame he didn't get. Um, any of the big goals, but he set he set the Penguins up for several really good opportunities and uh, really really played hard. And it's just it's really exciting to see that out of him and um, and, and to see Crosby, and to see all these young guys, Rust and Cheery, they're like and Murray, they're all balling right now. Jeff, so, I mean, like I said, there, it could have gone to a number of guys, but at the end of the day, Sidney Crosby uh, is is the face of the Penguins, and I have no problem with him getting it. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that you know, from a, from a fan standpoint, um, could you really ask for much better than this? I mean, it, it, when Christmas time rolled around, and that's when teams start to kind of, uh, I, I like to say, the cream starts to rise to the top in the National Hockey League, and you kind of get a real good firm grip as to who's going to be contending, who's going to be more pretending, if you want to use that analogy, uh, and the, the, mm-hmm. at that time. The Penguins were pretending. They were pretenders. And yeah. a lot of people want to say it was the coach, but the coach only does so much. Now, we learned a lot from Sullivan. I mean, this guy came in and totally changed the culture. So kudos to him. But in terms of the way the Penguins were playing, I'm not going to put that all on the pre- previous coach because they were lackluster. They were sloppy. They were undisciplined. And some of that does go to the coach, but not all of that because – just as much as you can blame the coach when things are going bad, you could say that it's not the polar opposite, which is what it is now in Sullivan, that now all of a sudden they're listening. Well, maybe they hated the coach. Maybe they wanted him out. We'll never know. But ultimately, when Sullivan takes over, it's a totally different team. And, and I think, you know, fans live and die by this stuff if you're truly invested in it. And I know, Chris, you and I are both very invested in all three Pittsburgh sports teams or we wouldn't be doing a show every week about all three sports teams. And mm-hmm. when, they are, when they're struggling, most take it very, very bad. They take it tough. I mean, listen to what, how I, what I say about the Pirates every single week. It, it's, yep. I care about it, and I'm all obviously very passionate about it. And I think as a, as a fan base, they got to see the full gambit this year. Slow start, superstars not performing make some trades at the deadline. Some some of these trades are absolutely incredible. They go through injury. Players that are backups come in and stand tall. They make the playoffs. They don't just make the playoffs. They make a dominant push in their second seed in the East, and then they go on this magical run where they beat the Rangers, where they had, had their number the past few years. They go through the Cats in six, seven against the Tampa Bay Lightning, which was very shaky at times, and then finally winning it in six in the Stanley Cup. It's been crazy. I, I gotta be honest, Chris. It's gonna be weird for me. In a couple of days, I'm gonna be expecting to see a Penguin game on TV. I mean, I mean, yeah. we've been following this team since October, 
it's hard to yep. believe, and it's June, and you're going to expect to see, well, who the Penguins play next. Well, they don't play anyone. It's over. They won the Stanley Cup. I guess for me, it's sunken in, but in a little strange place in my mind, I feel like the season's still going on. Um, what is your kind of overall recap of the season? I mean, it's been an incredible year, in a, an incredible in a lot of different ways. Uh, what are your overall thoughts? I mean, well, it, it, like you said, it's been one heck of a ride. I, I remember at the halfway point, and everyone, I, I remember I was driving to pick up, what was I, I think I was either picking up Peppies or, uh, uh, it was it was some cheese that it was good, I remember too. But I was driving yeah. to get some food, and I was listening to, to late night radio, in um on you know in Pittsburgh and I just remember hearing like these guys, you know, they're they're lucky if they're gonna be one of the last teams that make the playoffs. If they are the last teams, they'll have to play the Capitals in the first round and they can't beat the Capitals. They're just the Capitals are just too good. And it sounds just like, well, you know, it's a halfway point. I'm thinking like oh, all it matters is just get to the get to the big dance and be the and be the better team. That's all you need. And and they didn't but they didn't wait until the big dance to be the better team. They became that better team from January coming coming into the playoffs. I mean, it was it was a huge turnaround. And I mean, Jeff, I don't know about you, man. I have I, I'm not a huge hockey. I I don't know much about the game. I mean, I know the basic rules. I know I know a lot. Of, I know like some of the great players and everything. But I think just now, just from watching it in my time as a Pittsburgher, I think I figured out the one thing that the Penguins need to do every year so that they can win the championship. You know what that is? Fire the coach. Fire the coach. Mid-season. You can't do it before <laughs> the season because we saw it didn't work last time. They, this time they got it right. They waited to the middle of the season. Then they fired their coach. And what did they do? They went and won the championship, just like they did in 2009. No, but all seriousness. Um, I, I think one thing, I don't, I don't, I don't think that, that coaching is always the problem. I do think that you definitely saw that, that Sullivan deserved to be the coach and that he – change the attitude of this team when you saw I mean, you saw it. We're, we're not talking about that anymore. Like, you know, when, when, uh, when in the playoffs, when, when stuff started to not go the Penguins way and you saw them get a little bit frustrated right out and just say, nope, we're not talking about that anymore. We're moving forward. We're going to accomplish our objectives. That I, I got to give them credit for. But at the same time, like you said, it's not, on, it's not always on a coach when players don't do what they're supposed to do. Because as a coach, you go into, when you go in, you tell them, skate hard. You tell them, you know, do your fundamentals. You tell them to do the things that you know that, they're, that they know they're supposed to do. Sometimes the players just don't do them. Now, maybe that reflects on how much they respect you, you know, and, and maybe that, that – or maybe it just means that they're having a bad day. But it, there's always a two, way too many factors, factors for anyone to just say it's definitely the coach's fault. Now, in this case, Nolan came in, and it, it seemed like, well, this guy just definitely has a better control in his team. And the scheme that he brought out – I mean, I, if you had told me that Malkin and Crosby weren't scoring goals, and and you know and back in back in Penguin, you know just in December when when everything was really rough and you know was, Penguins are really struggling, if you had told me that that that, that Malkin and Crosby wouldn't be like the leading goal scorers, you know had to make the playoffs, I would have told you they would have been bounced in the first round. Uh, but you know he, he developed he, he developed this team. They they're they're playing as a whole team, a whole unit. They have talented guys on every line, um, and it, it, they were just a real remarkable thing to see. It's um, it, it's one it was one of those really cool Pittsburgh stories 
um, of sports teams that just get real hot. They real, they have some really magical moments. And I mean, really, look through the playoffs, man. They had, I mean, they, they, we we never had really a laugher that we could even that we could even like just watch and be like, oh, thank goodness, man. This is so much fun to watch them just destroy someone. No, every game we won was like was like three one with an empty netter or two to one with an overtime goal. It was, every time it just seemed like we were just nail biting Cap series on the Rangers series. You know, had a few of those, but. Uh, but like once we got to the Caps and the Lightning, I mean every single win was just so tough and so. But they gutted it out, and they won so many of those close ones that could have gone either way. That's what makes things magical. This is a this is a magical season in my eyes. I I, I you know I, I loved watching this team, and you're right. I'm, I'm gonna miss it because now I'm like, man, you know I'm not I don't I can't just turn on the pens and watch them kick somebody's butt or you know give me a, a late night drama that will most more likely than not end with give me a happy ending. Tomorrow, that means I just I got to turn on the Pirates and, and just hope that they don't suck against the Mets. Oh, well, we're going to wait to talk about them for a second. But uh, before we go any further, we do want to mention that the show is sponsored by Frank Walker Law, the top criminal defense firm. The call in Western Pennsylvania and Northern West Virginia is home of one of the nation's top 100 ranked trial attorneys in Frank Walker. We'll be hearing more from our sponsor later in the show. Sticking with the Penguins a little bit and kind of a yeah. segue into – the Steelers. Um, in 2009, it was the last time that the Pittsburgh Penguins won a Stanley Cup, and they drove a very long drought since the 1991 season that they had won a Stanley Cup. Obviously, we know how that year went for the Steelers as well. I want to stop right there. We're going to hit the, we're going to hit that major point in a second. Here's what I want to tell you. I was, I was just following Twitter the other day, um, and curiously. Mm-hmm. Sometimes every now and then I'll, I'll search a hashtag, and if you've never done that on Twitter, sometimes it's very interesting to see what you see, what you can see. And I saw a lot of fans were really bitter, a lot of New York Ranger fans, a ton of Philly, Philadelphia Flyer fans. Um, oh yeah. Even some Tampa Bay Lightning fans that were just really, really hating on the Pittsburgh fan base, uh, saying they're a bunch of front runners. And you know what? I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know what? And and I, I am a 33 year old. Uh, that's, that's been very, very spoiled in my life. Um, and you think about it, uh, I've seen two Stanley, actually four Stanley Cup victories because I was alive for all of them. I remember all of them. Um, I, I wasn't, I haven't seen the World Series win yet, but I've seen two Super Bowl titles, and that's more than a lot of fans can say. You know, you, you, I live in Maryland, so I, you know, I've, I've seen these fans, these Redskins fans, these these Capitals fans, um, even Orioles fans that. You know, that's very prominent in my area that have never seen their team win a title. And if they have, it's been years and years and years ago. And it's it's just so you're, you realize, man, am I lucky. Now, I think back to my father. My father is 60 years old. He's 61 maybe. Um, and now uh, he's 61. He has seen so much. I mean, he remembers back in the Clemente days, those, Super, those World Series wins. Mm. I think he got to see three of those. Um, he got to see – he's seen all six Super Bowls. He's seen all four Stanley Cups. The Pittsburgh fan base is the city of – Pittsburgh is the city of champions, and the fan base is the most spoiled, I think, in all of sports. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing because now what you expect is that if you don't win a title, then that's not good enough, you know? That, that, that's kind of the way that it's gauged. So, for me, I look at it and I say, you know, I just look at it kind of in retrospect. I was like, man – We've got to see some good stuff, Chris. I mean, really. I mean, you think about it. We've yeah. got to see some great athletics. Uh, if you want to talk about that, you can. If not, we'll go to the next topic. I just want to say that I'm I'm 
I don't let that go unnoticed. And I, I said this to one of our contributors, Nate, uh, was talking on Gchat during the hockey game. I was like, as you get older, and I'm only 33, like I said, you appreciate these championships more as a fan because you truly don't know when it's going to happen again. In 2009, when the Pens got the, the cup, everyone thought they're going to be right back. They've been the back-to-back Stanley Cup Finals. They thought this is the beginning of a heck of a run. And look what happened. Seven years later is the next time they get to the final, and luckily they win it. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I'm, I'm kind of curious to know. Oh, man, I know I'm spoiled. I, you know, Ryan Clark said this, what, four years ago now? He said Pittsburgh fans are spoiled because all we, all we see is winning all the time. And it's, it is really crazy. A lot of people don't realize just how fortunate we are to be Pittsburgh fans. You, you have Not only do you have winning teams, but the, you know, teams that have won a lot of championships, they're rare, you know, like, we rarely have a year where, where we don't have a competitive team. You know? and, and usually that's thankful. That's like we're thankful just to the Pittsburgh Steelers because it's been a long time since the Steelers haven't been competitive. When I mean haven't been competitive, I don't mean not make the playoffs because they do that every now and then. But they, I, I mean a team that's not battling, that's not like something that you can be excited about. They have some pep, pep to their step, and uh, and they have some really competitive guys on their roster. And you know it, it's you know it's it's tough for some people to understand that you know you could listen. You you think it's bad because the Steelers went eight and eight for two years after you know they won a they won a Super Bowl and made another one. And had this crazy run. Imagine being in Cleveland. Imagine being a Cleveland fan. Like, you could you could be rooting for the Browns in in the factory of sadness, the most depressing thing in sports. And, I mean, it, it's so bad, Jeff. I'm in a, I'm in a Facebook group that has a lot of uh, it's like a sports group talk group that people just chat about stuff. And there's a lot of Cleveland fans in there, and they are so praying for the Cavaliers right now. They're they're like they are they are losing their minds over this over this series, and the Cavaliers are set to play the Warriors in Game Five tonight with the Warriors being up three one. I, I just don't think there's any way the Cavs can come back with the way that they're playing. Um, you know, even if they win tonight. But besides that, I mean, they got the Browns, and every year they're like the Browns is their year, and then they just get smacked up, and they get their forced to go home. And I mean, it, it's so bad. They were cheering because the Lake Erie Monsters won the, the AHL, the minor league of the of the NHL championship. Like, they were celebrating that, like, like oh, we did it. We got a champion. I'm like, no, you didn't. That's the minor league. That'd be, that's like if we were celebrating when we had the, the Pittsburgh Power, the, the, the our, our, our arena league. Come on, man. That's not, that's not, that's not nothing. Like, what you, what you talking about? You know, it's, you know, I understand if you were, if you were some, some rinky-dink town, in, in, in Arkansas or Wyoming, and you had a you had a, a minor league baseball team, and that was the only thing your city had. Okay, I get it. But you're Cleveland. You're you're a real city, kind of. Um, you know you you got you, you you got sports teams. You got three no wait they got one. They got three professional sports teams. They got the Cavs. They got the Indians, and they got the Browns. Um, and I mean, so you you got teams to root for. They just all suck. And that's what Pittsburgh fans got to realize. You're not Cleveland. You're not Cincinnati. Though Cincinnati did have the big red machine back in the day, so they at least have some sense of what it's like to win. Um, but you know, you're you're not like a lot of these other cities. You're not Philly that really struggles. And Philly, it's funny. Philadelphia fans, they think they got it all, but deep down, they know that they're, that's why they hate. That's why they hate uh, Pittsburgh fans. I mean, I went to Philly thinking like I would be liked because 
the Eagles back in – they were my second squad when I was in high school. I liked Donovan McNabb, Brian Westbrook, and, uh, you know, just – they were, I had they, like, Brian Dawkins. They were flying all over the place. Like, man, they were a fun team to watch. And I was like, yeah, when the Steelers are on, I can watch the Eagles. They're from Pennsylvania. But, man, when I got to Philadelphia, I just wore my Troy Polamalu jersey, and they hated my guts. They wanted it. They wanted it. They were throwing snowballs at me. They were, they were calling me names. And I was like, wait, what happened? No, we're, we're cool. And it just it made me hate Eagles fans. And like, I didn't even hate the Eagles, but I was just like, you know what? No, I don't want y'all to win because like, y'all are the biggest jerks in the world. Because I didn't even say nothing about the Eagles. I was like, hey, you know, hopefully they can get it. It'd be cool to see a Pennsylvania Super Bowl. But they didn't even want to see that. So, um, but it's because they suffer so much, Jeff. They got the Sixers. The Sixers are, have become basically the Browns of the NBA lately. They, they keep picking super high, number one pick overall, and they keep being busts. They got players fighting in bars and getting charges. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. They they're, they're a travesty. The Eagles are in, are in shambles after Chip Kelly came in after Andy Reid and utterly destroyed that team. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things. The Phillies, they did have a championship win in 2009, but they've fallen off, and now they're trying to figure out their way, though they are uh, playing really well this season. But they, they've fallen off. And uh, who, who else? And, and then they have the Flyers. And the Flyers, they haven't won since the 70s. You know, they can, they, they can drop that. But people don't realize in Pittsburgh how special – we are, how good we have it. And um, it's, it's truly amazing. You got the Steelers, you got the Penguins, and I mean, even the Pirates, now, you know, now you know, that their 20 season uh, drought is, is over as far as making the playoffs, they're at least competitive and sometimes fun, fun to watch. But even without them, I mean, you know, if, if there were, they, I remember they, they used to sell shirts in the strip district in back in 2009 that on ice or grass, we'll kick your ass. Because that's what we did. You know, we had. We have it, and right now the Steelers do have a legitimate chance to do what they did back in 2009, which is win the Super Bowl along with the uh, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, even though it was in reverse order. The Steelers won and then the, the Penguins won. But, I mean, it's truly exciting, and people are so ready for it. And who knows? The Penguins might not ever win another Stanley Cup, but we know that this was a magical run. This was fun to see, and, and we're truly blessed to see it. So Pittsburgh fans, you know, how, you know, this thing, how how lucky we are to be, to be Pittsburgh fans because you could be a Cardinals fan out now in Arizona rooting for the Suns and the, the Arizona Cardinals and that would just be a really sad life. So, uh, uh, but man, I think we're blessed. I'm always I always feel blessed, but I especially know that I'm just so happy to be a Pittsburgh fan. Absolutely, and uh, fans that might not follow the Penguins, you have to understand why we talk about them so much. They just won a championship. That would be like if the Steelers won the Super Bowl this year. Uh, this show would be predominantly Steelers talk um, or if the Pirates win a World Series. So uh, we don't want to just kind of – we don't want to squelch the, the flame of the, the Penguins and, and their championship. Uh, if you want to talk about the Pens, you can absolutely call in. Um, the number is 347-850-8581. Again, 347-850-8581. You can call at any time. Uh, you might have to wait on hold. You can listen to the show while you're waiting. We'll get you on the air. You can talk about the Pens. But until then, we're going to transition now, and we're going to – move on to the other two Pittsburgh sports teams to try to give everyone even coverage here on the Black and Gold Blitz. And since yes. about 2009, it was something I wanted to talk about anyways, and that's with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ryan Chazier, you wrote this article for the website for BehindTheSteelCurtain.com about how he kind of called yes. that the Penguins would win a title, and then he said the Steelers and the Pirates would all win titles in the next five years. It took two years for the Penguins to do their part. The Steelers are and the Pirates are next up on the docket. We know the history in, in 09 where the Steelers beat the Cardinals down in Tampa Bay uh, for Super Bowl 43. They're favorites 
unlike in the past where, you know, there's other teams that are always considered better. There's other teams that people think, oh, well, you know, well, the the Patriots, you're going to have to go through the Patriots if you want to win the Super Bowl. You're going to have to go through Seattle. You're going to have to go through even a Baltimore at times. You're going to have to go through a team like uh, the Saints back when they were a, a predominant power in, in the NFC conference. Now it seems like people are saying that's the Steelers. And it's you're going to have to go through Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's offense is lethal. Their defense is young and fast and improving and athletic. I want to know, Chris, how does that sit with you? Because me, I'm an underdog. I like being the team that's not favored. I like when people say the Steelers don't stand a chance. I like it when Bill Cowher is the only one that picks them to win on CBS before a game because he's a freaking homer and I love him for it. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What do you like about do you like, do you not like, do you not care about the Steelers now being the favorites in the AFC to possibly represent that in the conference in Super Bowl 51? Well, it, when, I'm, when I'm in my reality, Jeff, you know, it's, you know this is reality, Greg. Um, when I'm in my reality, it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, when you look at it, it honestly does not impact the game in one bit. The only time is that if, if one team looks at that and says, hmm, I'm going to be, get mad and, and, and play better. But if you need that to motivate you, then you're not, you're not, you're not even that good. Um, I, I feel like it doesn't matter in reality, but it makes it so much more fun for a fan when you are underestimated, when you are said to – when everyone does count you out and you're coming and knocking people out. I mean, that's one of the best that's, – that's the American story is that to be that person that nobody looked at, nobody knew who you were or, did, or didn't think you could, you could succeed, and you went out and proved all these people wrong so that you can stand defiant against all the odds. And that's what a lot of people like to see. Um, and, and, and to be honest, that's been a, a lot of the Steelers' stories in the past. I mean, you know, when they came up in the early 70s, and they they rose out from this team that was just you know just a horrible franchise as far as as far as success wise, um, but uh you know when it, you know but then they became the elite Steelers they became the dynasty of the NFL and um, and the same thing went for the 2005 Super Bowl run I mean everyone counted the Steelers out and, you know in mid season when they were seven and five after you know they lost to the Colts and they lost to the uh, to the Bengals and everyone says, well, they have to win out and, you know, that's the only way they can really guarantee that they make the playoffs and they did just that. And then not only did they do that, they went and beat the Bengals in their own house and after the Bengals beat them in Pittsburgh. Um, and then they went to Indianapolis where they got utterly destroyed earlier that season. They beat them. Then they went into Denver to play a really high Broncos team that just took out Tom Brady and the Patriots, beat them pretty handily. And then they went up against the number one team in the NFC that had, I think they had the number one defense and the number one offense that season with Sean Alexander, who was destroying everyone, and a defense of Lopa Tatupu, but, you know, Lopa Tatupu was kind of a one-hit wonder. Um, but, you know, they were, they were firing on all cylinders, and they came and they smothered them down, and they became Super Bowl champions. And it, 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 it's such a fun thing, and you want to see it. But at the same time, I don't mind that people are finally giving us some recognition because the Steelers really are. They deserve to be. Ben Roethlisberger has emerged and proven that, you know, even for the people that don't want to call him elite, they're like, okay, he's definitely in the top five quarterbacks in this league now. You know, Drew Brees is not what he used to be. Um, Peyton Manning is gone. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, he's got to be in the names. With, he got to be in the ranks with, with Brady. Um, you could put. I, I, I feel like you could put Russell Wilson up there with the way that he plays the game. Um, but you know, there's a, he's in that select few of, of of elite quarterbacks in the NFL right now. 
and he does he's not alone. That's the thing. He has a really, really good offensive line. He has a great running back. He has argue no, he he has the best receiver in all of football right now in Antonio Brown. He has he has other weapons on offense and we'll see how how a day dream you know, shakes out a tight end, but he has Marcus Wheaton, like a, a really good speedster and route runner. He has um well, he had Martavis Bryant before he got high and suspended. Um but you still got Darius Hayward Bay, another uh, another speedster on offense. You still got D'Angelo Williams as a backup. And then like you said, this defense is young and coming and you saw the defense develop last year, Jeff. You saw progress pretty much on every um on, on, you know, on every like two or three weeks you saw something improving. You have Cameron Hayward, you know, the leader of that defense. But you have up-and-comers like Stephon Tewitt, Ryan Shazier. You know, maybe Jarvis Jones gets improved. Bud Dupree was a really solid rookie. You know, you got your old-timer Lawrence Timmons that's holding down the middle. And then, you know, this secondary, what are they going to do with these youngsters? But you still got solid players like William Gay and Mike Mitchell back there. There's so much to be excited for for this team. And it's definitely not uh, – it's not like a, a, a reach or a stretch of the imagination to see that this team – is competing for and winning the Super Bowl come February. So definitely not not a stretch, But and, and I'm perfectly okay with us being front runners because I, I want teams to, to know that we're coming. You know, And to, and to me, it, it's kind of like, to me, it's like I, I want us to, to know that, there, that we have a bullseye on us because I think that when we do, that's when we come out and we knock heads. Um, you know, I feel I feel like whenever you know the Steelers, I, I don't buy into the thing that the Steelers take off games, but I feel like when they when they know the teams are coming after them, when they know it's it's going to get real, and if there's a little bit of hatred out there, then I think they do, they definitely do play harder. I don't think they let up against other teams, but like you saw, you remember when when we went to Cincinnati in the in the later part of the season um, for the for the rematch this season, right? Jeff, what then? Again? You remember you remember we played the Bengals in the second half of the season uh this year, right? Obviously, yes, I remember that. So before the game, I, re- I remember hearing interviews on uh on, on, on Pittsburgh Sports Radio and they were talking to Cam Hayward and Ryan Cesar and all of them just had the same thing. You know, what what do you think about the Bengals having a chance to click? They said, Not today, not today they're not and it was like that sense of defiance. It's the sense of that underdog thing because everyone Wants a piece of what you got, and yes, at the time the Bengals were in the top of the division. But at the same time, the Bengals knew that the Steelers really still owned them. You know, despite you may have a better record, you may have beaten us the last time that we played, but we're still the Steelers. We're still, you know, you could win, you could win this this year's division, and we still won't care because we won six Super Bowls, and we can't, we still own you. And then we proved that we did by going and winning that time, and then again in their house in the playoffs. Um, so, you know. I'm okay, I'm okay with being the front runner because I think that the Steelers are going to take that to heart and, you know, when people come out and they're trying to challenge them every week and that's going to make them a tougher team. So I'm okay with it, but I also don't mind when it's, when it's excited to me. It doesn't really matter. They're going to, they got to use, use whatever fuel they can because uh, they, they got to go out there and make those plays. Yeah, if you're going to be the front runner, you, you kind of have to have that swagger. Think back to those early to mid-2000 teams, the defense, they showed up number one defense in the NFL, and they were there to make a statement. And it was, we are going to smack you down. Uh, I remember them in the Houston Texans game. They only gave up, like, maybe over 100 yards total, not rushing, not yeah. passing total. 
They still lost mm-hmm. the game. That's a different story altogether. Maddox. That that defense was just they lived up to it. And so now you look yep. at the offense, and the offense is going to have it's going to be a challenge for these guys. They, like you said, the targets on their back, and is, are they going to be able to perform when it matters the most? You know, Antonio Brown's going to be there, but is who else is going to step up? Is it going to be Le'Veon Bell? I hope so. Um, we think that he, everyone is expecting him to get back to his 2014 form, um, and even 2015 before he got injured again, and that's going to be interesting to watch. But speaking of the Steelers, speaking with that theme, they're getting ready to um, start mini camp this week. I believe it's three mm-hmm. days of mandatory mini camp, and then after that is when they go on their near month long hiatus until training camp, where it's just the dull days of summer for those of us that cover the team because there's really no stories. I mean, you're clinging to Ben Roethlisberger taking his receivers down to Georgia to throw around and stuff like that. You're clinging to uh, Jerome Bettis at the U.S. Open at Oakland and hitting the yeah. hitting a, the first ball off the front. You know, it, it's tough. It is difficult. And, and no other real sports team has to deal with that because, I mean, the Penguins just won the Cup, and now they only have, yep. you know, you're talking like October, and now they're they're getting right back to draft in a lot of days of them. So um, it's a little yep. bit different. But I wanted to ask you about a couple situations. There's an article coming out. I'm going to write an article hopefully by the end of the week. And the first is on the Steelers' short yardage situation in terms of the running back, short yardage running back. Now, last year, in mm-hmm. the beginning of the year, Le'Veon Bell was suspended. D'Angelo Williams was the number one running back. He was not the short yardage running back. It was Will Johnson, if you remember, in New England. Mm-hmm. Will Johnson mm-hmm. got the ball on the goal line and stuff like that. And D'Angelo Williams proved that he could be very efficient at that. He, I think he had 11 touchdowns. He led the team in touchdowns yep. total outside of Ben Roethlisberger. Um, phenomenal job at the goal line. He was very good. At, his vision was great. He read blocks well. He was able to, as Jerome Bettis called it, get skinny when he had to. Le'Veon Bell has also proven that he is a guy. Think back to the San Diego Chargers Monday night game. You go in the Wildcat, you need a guy to get a touchdown, and he did it when, let's be honest, I don't know if D'Angelo Williams scores that touchdown and they win that game. However, my question for you is, going into 2016, short yard situation, do you think Todd Haley just sticks with the hot hand and he keeps the running back that's in there? Or do you think that they have, like, okay, D'Angelo Williams, we know you're not going to play as much, but you're our short yardage guy. If you were the coach, how would you kind of, Weave these players into the into the roster and trying to short yarded situation. I'd be giving damn ball to Le'Veon Bell. That would be my answer. If it's short yardage, if it's long yardage. I'm giving the damn ball to Le'Veon Bell, and because <laughs> it's, look, the the way that man works in, in every situation, he's just he's so much fun to watch. If I'm approaching the red zone, maybe and you, you, you do want to give him breaks. You do want to make sure that he's that he's keeping this. He, he's he's all right out there because you know we have seen him go down to injury um, the past two seasons. But at the same time, you also want your best playmaker on the field for the best situations, and that definitely happens. I mean, if you remember, a lot of people who don't might see him might not remember this play. Uh, but back when we played the Ravens at home and Michael Vick was a quarterback and we just needed to score somehow in some way and we were in the red zone and there was that one busted run play where the Ravens knew where we were going and he turned and Le'Veon Bell breaks the tackle, turns around, runs around the entire other way of the field, uses Mike Vick. Mike Vick does a great lead block and he finds a way to get in the end zone. This is a guy that will not quit. That Chargers touchdown you were talking about, you know, when Le'Veon Bell, he – He's found a way. If he doesn't lift his leg up 
up to his chest to get over guys, he's not going to get that score, and the Steelers might lose that game. You know, there's so many times when he just knows what to do, and it seems to be instinctful to, instinctive to him. He's going to be the guy that makes those plays. I'm giving the ball to Le'Veon Bell. Now, if he needs a blow, you know that you've got an okay guy in D'Angelo Williams. He will find a hole. He will, will run hard. Um, and, you know, so I'm not uncomfortable with, with that. But Le'Veon Bell is just that special of a playmaker. And he's also that special of a playmaker that you can come, come to him in a wildcat or you can throw it to him. Legit, though, if you, like, think about this. You line up, here's, here's your lineup. You come out with a goal line formation, right? Your 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 lineup. So you regular five linemen. You got Bennett, Bennett quarterback. You got Roosevelt Nixon fullback. Then you got Bell at, at tailback. Now your tight ends are Ladarius Green, Jesse James, and Matt Smith. So you got your full that that that's your that's your that's your offense right there. You line up in a bunch in like a regular goal line formation. Everyone's tight. You know you get you you're out looking like you're going to run. Then all of a sudden Ben calls a quick audible. He moves, he, and then people, you know, Ladarius Green and Jesse James bump out to the sides because they're two tall guys that can go up and get fade passes. Then Le'Veon Bell motions to the motions to the slot because he can he can run crazy routes and he can run fades and he can cut inside. Then Ben backs up to the shotgun. Roosevelt Nix is his sidecar because he can protect, and you still got Matt Space, you know, on you know floating around the line of scrimmage off the line because you know we have to maintain the line, you know, Green and James on the edge. Therefore, you have two decent receiving options to go up and get deep passes on the end, and you still got you still got tough protection inside with Le'Veon Bell as an X factor, you know, which you could put anywhere you want. Teams won't know how to react to that kind of stuff, and I can see that happening with the mind of Todd Haley. There's so much exciting stuff that you can do that you can draw up for that, and teams are going to be like, what the heck are we going to really do? And it's going to be all on Ben Rathberg. Can he, can he make those reads? Can he make those plays? Can he stay consistent? Because the Steelers definitely have the talent. Jesse James, the rookie from Penn State last year, he, he made some plays. He showed that he could play some ball. There, he, we're going to have to see, continue to see development from him. But I think with him, with his ability to go up and get it, with, with, with Darius Green, if he can be what we've seen on tape, it's going to be so exciting. But we know what Le'Veon Bell brings. Matt Spade can be a decent blocker. And he can also catch a little bit, too. Rose, we move on next. He seems to be a grinder that can knock people out. So, you know, and so you can go from a full running formation when the defense is just looking for run, then you spread them out, and they're now now the defense is freaking out. Okay, who's got who? What, what do we got to do? You know, and they might not have the personnel to cover your tight ends and and maybe belt and still worry about the pass rush. You know, that, that that presents so many headaches for defenses. That's why I really like what what it is. So I'm putting Le'Veon Bell out there because he's not just a running option. He's the guy that you can switch out of, and 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 Ben Ben can rely on for a quick dump off pass. To go and get the yardage that you need in those situations. So I'm going Le'Veon Bell each and every time if it was me. Okay, so here's my next question for you about the 2016 Steelers. Yeah. You just went on a very nice tirade. I'm a homer like you are about how confident you are with the Steelers, especially on offense. And on offense or defense, what are your biggest concerns for this team next year? I mean, issues where you're like, oof. Man, I don't know. This could be an Achilles heel. Like that, that's what I'm talking about. What are what, what are some concerns for you uh, for this team? Concerns uh, right now, health um, is the number one. Concern. I'm really nervous because we've seen Marquise Pouncey, Le'Veon Bell, and even Antonio Brown, you know, got hurt in that last game. I, you know, I really, with the loss of Martavis Bryant, this offense it, it, it's still lethal. 
But with Martavis Bryant in there, it would have been extra super duper lethal, like lethal injection. It's 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 that it, it was that scary. It's still scary because you still have some of the best players in the NFL on. Um, but there's just that added dimension that isn't there right now. So with you know, I, I think that you know, there's I'm st- I'm still very excited to see the offense, but I think that, that it's going to depend on can they get can they keep players healthy through most of the season? Can we protect Ben Roethlisberger? Because I'll tell you what, a major concern right now, um, uh, a major concern right now is just you know, can Ben Roethlisberger say because we don't have a backup quarterback that we can trust. Who's Greg Kelsey? Okay. But Lanchie Jones, we saw what happened. We put him in the playoffs, and he was just folding like like a lawn chair. Um, and so I'd say the backup, you know, the the health of Ben Roethlisberger is is important because the backup situation is really bad. Um, and I think that's a major concern on offense. But the second a secondary concern for the offensive side of the ball would be, you know, the stepping up of the players that we're unsure of. Can Ladarius Green be the tight end that we that we know? Because Heath Miller has been, was. He was every bit Mr. Steeler. He embodied what it meant to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Blue collar, didn't say nothing. You know, he, all he did was just he got his job done. He fought hard for his boys, and he always, he always seemed to come with his, with his lunch pail ready to work. Um, and now Ladarius Green, he looks to be like the more, he looks to be a lot more athletic than Heath Miller was, um, and he looks like he can bring an extra dimension to the offense. Will he do that? Will he sync up with Ben? Only time will tell. Jesse James, can he develop as a tight end to be a second option at the tight end position? Can he block better? Can he can he be more consistent as a, as a receiver, receiving tight end? Does Marcus Wheaton develop? Now, Marcus Wheaton, I think he had an underrated campaign in 2015 because he was making some plays out there. He was catching in traffic. He was shaking off uh, defenders. That one touchdown bomb that he had against the Seahawks was just so beautiful as he danced away and laughed at Cam Chancellor, who, t- who thought he could cover um, you know, it, it, there's a there's a lot to that offense, and you you have him. Can can Hayward Bay continue to produce? Can Sammy Coates step up in the absence of Martavis Bryant and be an option, a speed demon for 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 Ben Roethlisberger to look at? Um, and you know, can Le'Veon Bell stay healthy? These are all questions that are that are that are really serious. It, it goes to health, but also goes to can the young guys that haven't been superstars yet step up and and and, and be and be those role players that you need on offense. So on offense, those are my two teams: is young guys step, stepping up into the into the role player roles, and um, and of course the health of our of our superstars because we just, we saw that be a serious concern. And that that's something that you think is normal for every team, Jeff. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, if the Bulls lost Michael Jordan, it was over. Um, but you know, at the same time, it, it became a real concern because Pittsburgh saw Bell, Brett Roethlisberger, and Brown all go down last season, and the loss of of Brown was like the was the the camel you know the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to the playoffs last year. I won't say that it's the only reason that they lost because they still had a chance. But with Brown out there, the offense definitely would have been able to perform a lot better. It would have provided so many more options. So, um, um, so those those are my two keys for the offense. Now for the defense, it's going to be a matter of can can, can they be consistent against the run? Because my thing is my my, my problem is this: they were not consistent at, at times with with filling holes and stopping gaps. And, again, this is why we're spoiled, because I grew up seeing Casey Hampton, Kimo Von Olhoffen, and Aaron Smith just whoop offensive linemen's asses day in and day out. He would, they would just come in and just knock, knock your face off because they would just hit hard. They'd fill, they'd fill up the holes, 
and then players like LeVon Kirkland or James Ferrier or, or, or uh, Carlos Emmons, if you remember him, he, he was a guy I like, kind of liked as a young age. But Jason Gilden, Joey Porter, you know, James Harris, these guys benefited because we had some, some just disgustingly awesome defensive linemen that would just tear people up. And that's something that we, that we need. In this, in this, in this, in this defense. Now we have Cameron Hayward and Stephon Tuitt, both I think are aces as, as defensive linemen, linemen go. But we need to be able to work them in on our system because we're trying to do more sub packages. We need to work them into our system and, and see how can they do it with you know Ken McCullers and Hargrave add to that so that we can spell those guys more and we're not we're not such a liability on the defensive front when those guys have to take take a rest. So for me, being more consistent and stopping the run forcing teams into situations where we know they have to pass on, on crucial downs, giving our, giving our passers better opportunities to go after the quarterback, and giving our cornerbacks and safeties better opportunities to be able to just play, play pass defense and be aggressive on passes um, you know, and, and say, like, oh, you have to go 10, 10 12 yards right now? Okay, so I know that you have to run this route. I can jump you a little bit. Um, you know, or I can sit back a little bit more and wait for you to make the move so that I can definitely make the play. So I think the first key is be more consistent to stop the run. But then also, does you know, can the youth movement make a difference this year? If we're talking about the Steelers definitely winning a Super Bowl this year, I think they're, you're going to have to see either Sean Davis or Artie Burns um, or even like you know Robert Golden at safety. If they need, there needs to be some sort of youth movement in the defensive backfield this season. For uh, for the defense to see to see some improvement, um, and it doesn't have to happen in like week one one through six, but like by by mid to late season, we need to see some guy that's at least stepping up and like you know if, if Artie Burns can step up and cover the slot, or if Senquez Golson can be that guy that shuts down you know the slot receiver that usually torches us in the, in those situations. Can any can any one of those guys be, the, be be an extra factor that comes in and creates problems for receivers? And, and and offenses that are looking to tear our secondary up, then I think that that will add, that that will add to the to the headaches that our defense can cause. Because Shazier, like I've been I've been writing these articles. If you haven't checked it out, look up. You can go to Google and say Shazier is the next po- Troy Polamalu. I, I created a four part series studying the film on Shazier on how he, he stopped the run, rushed the passer, covered the receivers, and 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 laid the boom with with huge hits. The guy is, an, is, is, a, is, a, is, you know, in baseball they call they call him like what is a, a five a five star player or a five tool player. Um, if you have all the mm-hmm. elements of a of a good uh, outfielder or whatever, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to this right here, Ryan Shazier is every bit of that in spades as a as a linebacker. He can he can do everything you can ask. He's extremely athletic, you know, not to speed and quickness and explosiveness, but he's strong and he can, he can he's lanky. He has the he has the arms to reach around and get stuff. And he seems to know football. He seems to have a knack to go get the ball. I think that he's going to be a key player for this defense. If he tees off and has like an all-pro type of season, I think that the defense can feed off of him. And who knows? Like I said, if we can stop the run and, and if we have like one, just at least one guy still in the secondary that's young and, and, and change how things work in that department, I think that this, this defense is going places and, um, and, and we could be seeing a, a top five defensive type year, but also, you know, like the pass rush has to be there. But I think that here's the thing, the pass rush will get there if the if the run, you know, people are talking about, oh, we need a guy with, with 10, you know, 10, 11, 12 sacks a year. You know, we need to get back to having like the James Harrison, and Jason Gilden, and Joey Porter days. I, I don't think as much, or even Lamar Willie. I, I don't think as much, you know, it, it's on, 
not having that kind of talent. I think it's been around our system. And our system right now is how can we shut down the run early and how can we confuse offenses who are trying to pass, excuse me, on third down. So that that starts again, yeah. start with stopping the run, clogging up the receivers and slowing them down and give, and making the quarterback hold the ball for four, five, six, seven seconds, and that will give the pass rushers the time to get there. And when that happens, you'll get there. Who knows? Jarvis Jones may get eight sacks. Cameron Hayward may get nine or ten. You know, these, these are things that can happen when, when these other elements come to play. So offense, you got injuries. You got young guys stepping up, you know, trying to, and we're trying to protect our guys. In, but young guys stepping up into the role model. Defense, stop the run. A young guy steps up in the secondary, and Chase Deere being an absolute monster. Yeah, no, you, you bring up some great points. If I were just 10.2, one on each side of okay. the football. My first one is left tackle. And people were excited about Alejandro Villanueva. If, they were, if the Steelers were super pumped about him and his capabilities, they probably wouldn't have been so aggressive looking for a veteran backup, especially when they take a backup tackle in the draft. Now, I'm not saying that Gerard Hawkins is ready to be that swing tackle. I think he's that swing tackle of the future. But left tackle is definitely a concern. You watch Ben Roethlisberger, his left knee get rolled up on last year against St. Louis, now Los Angeles. That's a problem. That's a concern for me. Because without Ben, nothing else matters. You saw that last year. Without Roethlisberger in that lineup, Antonio Brown's not Antonio Brown. Le'Veon Bell has to try to do everything himself. It's just not the same. Defensively, it's the outside linebackers. We know that Stephon Tewitt, we know that Cameron Hayward are going to get to the quarterback. They're going to put that inside. They're going to collapse the pocket from the interior. And that's something we haven't seen a lot of since Kimo Von Olhoff and Aaron Smith were, or even Brett Kiesel were doing that with regularity under Dick LeBeau. These guys are doing it better because the defensive coordinator is allowing them to do that now you need to match that with that outside pressure. James Harrison's 38. I think he can do it. I'm hoping he can do it. But there's still a part of me that then says, there's going to be at some point where this guy's body just says, you know what, James, it's just been, it's a great, been a great, great run. And it's just not capable. And who's going to step up? Uh, you hope Bud Dupree does. You hope that Arthur Mose is able to contribute the way he normally does with his two to five sacks a season. You hope that Jarvis Jones is able to get it going. Anthony Jaquilla may be able to step in. Those are concerns for me, big-time concerns. And because if not, I think that without those two things, the Steelers could be in trouble. And speaking of trouble, we hope that you stay out of trouble. But if you are in trouble, you might want to contact Frank Walker. Smart or stupid? Those strobing lights in your rear view, that flashlight shining in your face. License, registration, and insurance, please. The little adventure you're about to have with this guy? Uh, I'll need you to step out of the vehicle, please. Okay, so you've done something stupid. Fix it with a smart move. For DUI or criminal defense, call Frank Walker of frankwalkerlaw.com. He knows his way around a courtroom. 412-532-6805. 412-532-6805 or frankwalkerlaw.com. FrankWalkerLaw.com sponsors all of our podcasts here on Behind the Steel Curtains Podcast Network. The standard is the standard. Remember, Frank Walker Law is a top criminal defensive firm in western Pennsylvania and northern West Virginia. He's also home to the nation's top 100-ranked trial attorney. That's Frank Walker. Hopefully you're not in trouble. Hopefully our next caller, who's become a regular on our show, is not in trouble. But if he is, I don't know if he can get his services in Brooklyn, Bryce, but... You might be able to give him a call, Bryce. We hope you're uh, safe and doing well up there. How's it going? 
<laughs> it's going well, fellas. I'm I'm not in trouble. I do my best to stay out of trouble. <laughs> there it is. As everyone says, yeah. Yeah. So so I guess um a, a question and then and then a comment. Um, first question to you guys is where do you think the Steelers will finish in terms of pass defense? You know, we're looking at the whole thing. I know Jeff, you and I have talked about how important the outside rush is. We've got the influx of new talent in the defensive backfield. Where do you see the Steelers ultimately? finishing um, in terms of ranking for pass defense? Well, for me, I look at it this way. I'm a glass half full, half full kind of guy anyways. I, you were, the Steelers were 30th in the, in the National Football League last year. And so I wrote this in an article earlier this year. Can it get worse? Only two spots worse. So in my opinion, it has <laughs> to get better. You're bringing in better athletes. You're bringing in better, you know, if San Clay Golson can stay healthy, you're bringing in guys with better ball skills. The interception should go up. Ross Cockrell is going to be more comfortable in his second year in the system. And William Gay is probably just going to be William Gay. He's going to make plays. He's going to do his job. Not going to be flashy unless he scores a touchdown, mind you. But still, <laughs> I look at this and think that if the Steelers' pass defense can just get to 15th, and that's a stretch. That's, that's improving a lot, you know, in, in the course of a year. If they can get to 15th, heck, even 20th, I think this defense could be really, really tough to beat. But you were 30th last year, so in my opinion, 30th can't get much worse. I think it, it, realistically, anywhere between 15th and 20th is where I'm expecting them to be at the end of the season. There's going to be growing pains with these young players. However, anything above that, maybe if they get to 10th, well, that's just gravy at that point. That's just a hey, money in the bank. Chris, what do you think? Um, uh, wait, sorry. What was the question again? I, I lost track because I was trying. I was trying to fix something. <laughs> the question was. Where do you think the Steelers' pass defense will rank at the end of this season? Oh, that's right. I know. So I think I feel like it's going to be around the fifteen to twenty range, simply because that's not been our our forte. Um, and I think that we're gonna we're gonna give up some give up some yards. What I think that we're that we're that we're also going to well not give up but take is we're gonna increase the takeaways. You know, if you remember what made what helped really helped those things the in two thousand nine and two thousand ten. Um, when the Saints won the Super Bowl and the Packers won the Super Bowl, those teams' defenses, they did not rank high at all. In fact, they ranked pretty low when it came to um, when it came to pass defense. But what they ranked high in was the takeaways because they were able to be aggressive. And I think that at the end of the day, the Steelers are going to have a problem when it comes to shutting down the, the pass because they're still not there yet. When I'm, when I'm talking about excited, excitement, I still don't think that they're at the point where they can – they can do the hundred, uh, you know, hold a team to a hundred yards in a sing, in a single game. But I do think that they can be a team that that gets a ton of takeaways if they if they show some progress and, and just up their game a little bit. And I think that that's where we're going to see the improvements. So the, the pass ranking isn't going to be there. But, um, I do think it's going to be is the total number in sacks and the total number in turnovers, and that's what makes this defense one of the more recognized defenses in the league. Yeah, I mean, I was just talking to someone today about that, thinking that they could probably finish around 15 to 20, particularly with the addition of Burns. If he plays, if he plays at all, gives them anything, I think you can rotate the safeties. Golden brings a lot more speed. So I think you can cover those tight ends and you can cover those seams a little bit better. That's what they were giving up a lot of their yards was down the seam trying to play the cover too. So hopefully they'll be able to play that better. 
Yeah, the thing about the defense and most people are forgetting, myself included at times, is that we always just think that it's just going to be the same old 3-4. It's going to roll it out there and see what it looks like. Heck, at this point, after last year, I have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, I don't think anyone else is going to know what it looks like, and that can be a good thing for the defense because the element of surprise will certainly be there. They're not going to tip their hat in the preseason. It's going to change as the year progresses, as these secondary players, these defensive backs get more acclimated, they get more comfortable. This is going to be a fun year to watch the defense. They might get burned, but I think they're going to make plays like Chris talked about. It's, it's, the, the, the turnovers could be going up, and if you get the football in Ben Roethlisberger's hands more, it's only going to lead to success for the Steelers. Uh, what else you got for us, Bryce? Um, you know, the next comment is a, a little bit different. Just going to the Penguins. Um, big ups to the Penguins, bringing home the cup. Just once again, you get the you respond with the goal. Um, I think it was Latang with a great goal of a great setup, and then just defensively. Oh, yeah, just how Murray just stepped up and they build that wall around him and just completely shut down the offense of the Sharks the other day. I mean, just great, outstanding, outstanding play. Um, Crosby winning the MVP, just taking his defensive game to a whole new level. He completely shut down Thornton, their best player, their best scorer. I mean, that guy didn't get a goal. Crosby to me, and, and, and here's my question out of this, I look at Crosby almost right now, he's almost like the Magic Johnson of hockey. He's so versatile, can play multiple positions to do multiple things. That's how I kind of view him. What do you guys think of that? Go ahead, Chris. Man, um, you're, touch, you're touching my soul a little bit. My father raised me to be a Magic fan, even though I was, uh, I was, I, I was kind of after the era uh, when as far as, like, sports watching goes. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I, see the, I see the correlation because Magic can play any position on the court. And, and Crosby, he can really do it all in hockey, in hockey too. Um, yeah, and, and right now Crosby's still young. He can still contribute to a lot of what um, a lot, a lot, you know, a lot more championships. You know, you know if, if he if he even gets one more, you know, it's you know he's got up. He puts his name. I mean, he's right now he's on the he's on the mantle of you know one of the better players ever played in the NHL. But if he continues to expand his legacy with more championships, um, you know, this, this guy he's going to be up there with with, with Lemieux. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to Pittsburgh sport and Lemieux, to me, I thought Lemieux would never be touched by anyone in uh, in hockey for Pittsburgh ever because you know he was God when it came to it. and even when he retired and the Penguins were horrible and people were still like man but Lemieux that was the best player that ever walked the earth and then you know people a lot of people still will still say Wayne Gretzky and that's a debate for a debate for another time but Mario Lemieux you know had that and I think that Sidney Crosby if he continues to do to make the improvements that you saw him make in the second half of this season, then he's gonna, he can have that legacy and sort of be a Magic Johnson. Now, I, I also felt like Magic stood up for a lot of different things, you know, as far as, you know, him being a black man in America and the things that he fought and then the, the, him having AIDS and him bringing a lot more awareness to it because it was really impacting certain communities of our society and wasn't being addressed in the way it should. So there's a lot of social things that I don't think, uh, you know, or socioeconomic issues that I don't think Sidney Crosby will really tap into. Um, right, right. Part of what made Magic Johnson's legacy, but as far as a player and what he brought yeah. to the table and the, and the things that he did, I mean, you you know, it's not the same because Boston and LA was such a was such a super duper rivalry. They always met in the finals, but him and Ovechkin, it, it, you know, they have a sort of bird and Magic type feel. Now they always meet in the, in the in, you know before the championship because of the way that the league's constructed. But you know, he definitely has <coughs> has has rivals in the league, and it's fun to watch. And especially if you see. 
him not get as frustrated when people hit him late like he did in, in like the later part of, in, in these playoffs, I think you're yeah. going to be in a really good spot to see to see him become. And, and Magic was hated. A lot of people, you know, people love Magic now, but people Magic, Magic was hated back when he was being Magic and just dominating people. And he was just having fun doing it. And that I much see in Sidney Crosby. So that's a very fair comparison, Bryce. What do you think, Jeff? Um, speaking just as a position, as an athlete, the one thing that I always think that I, I think it's a good comparison with Maddie Johnson is that when people bring up highlights of Maddie Johnson, you don't typically see that you don't see the big dunks, you don't see just those ridiculous shots made, and that's not that he didn't do that stuff. You see those incredible passes. You know, he looks yeah. one way, throws it the other way. That's Crosby, and Crosby is yep, a terrific yep. scorer. But he's not Ovechkin. Ovechkin is the Michael Jordan, so to speak, if you're comparing errors, comparing sports. He was, you know, going to go out there now. Obviously, Michael Jordan won a lot more than Ovechkin. But still, in this comparison, Crosby's assist, the way that he can feather that puck through traffic, and you saw it on display in the finals, on the backhand, with so many players a week on their backhand, that's a strength of his. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. He is an assist machine. A lot of people hate that because he's not that pure goal scorer that they want. It doesn't matter. Sidney Crosby, I think that's a very good comparison if you're comparing Magic in terms of what he did on the court to what Sidney Crosby does on the ice when you're talking about how they play the game. Both are extremely respected. Both typically keep a level head, although you think back to those Magic Larry Bird moments, they had their moments where they got a little heated. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I think there's a very very good comparison right between uh, Crosby and uh, and Magic. Uh, anything else for us before we let you go, Bryce? Um, you know what, guys? I was here's a question. Keeping it on hockey, so I watched my the first time. I'm a casual fan. First time I ever really sat with my dad and watched playoff hockey um, this past weekend, and I sat down with him. And one thing I noticed: these hockey guys talk a lot of trash, man. And, 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 you know, when you think about the NBA and the NFL, and, and, Chris, I know you can appreciate this, you know, some of the conversation around the players and how they trash talk and how they carry themselves, I, I'm uncomfortable with some of the language that's used, but I want to just get you guys to start. What do you think about that when it comes to hockey? These dudes talk a lot of trash. They really get at each other. Yeah, I Go mean, ahead, you look at other, if you look at other sports, I mean, heck, look at what LeBron James just did in terms of, you know, green suspension and the trash talk on the court. Um, look at baseball. I mean, if a pitcher even says something to a batter, typically the both benches are warned and some guys might get tossed because of that. In hockey, they don't just cuss out each other. They cuss out the official as they're going to the penalty box. It's just a different <laughs> yeah. game. It's, it's, it's so unique. And it's tough for me to explain. Um, the officials let them go because, and I hate to say this, but in the NFL in the playoffs, typically calls are made when they feel the calls are made. Meaning, if there's a holding, they're going to call holding. If there's right. a pass interference call, they're going to call pass interference or defensive, you know, whatever. Um, in hockey, in the Stanley Cup final, in Game Six, in the third period when the Pens have a two-to-one lead, the whistles were put away. Right. Unless it was a, unless it was egregious, and that Connor Sheary did have that penalty in the third period, they're not going to make that call. Why? Because they don't want to be a part of it. They want to let the players play. They want to let them go at it. And you saw that in clear sight through the entire final. I think there was only maybe four penalties at most in a game in the entire six-game series. They let them play. 
they let him go out at it after the whistle. I mean, you see what these guys do if, if the goaltender uh, freezes the puck. I mean, they're whitewashing each other, which is where they come behind. They grab their yeah. sticks with their glove right to their face. They're pulling them down. The sticks are going up in the crotch. I mean, this stuff happens every time, and they just let it go. They just say, all right, all right, that's enough, that's enough. It's just a different sport. It's so different. And that's why when people bring up fighting in hockey and whether it should be allowed or shouldn't be allowed, unless you've played the game, you understand that I don't think it should be. I think it's kind of archaic. It's kind of stupid at this point. But there is a part of the game that kind of relegates itself to that aspect of fighting and getting two teams. And you can't say that there hadn't been moments where it had played a factor. Think back to 2009. Chris will remember this. I don't know if you watched twice. Max Talbot in Philadelphia. Maxine Talbot. He goes in. He fights, Dan, he fights Dan. He fights Dan Grasillo. When Dan Grasillo should have done hit. anything but fight, Max Talbot's hit. getting his butt whooped, but he's going to the penalty box and he puts his finger up over his mouth just to tell the crowd, shh, Penguins come back. They win that game, and obviously oh, they end up winning the cup. Right. So, uh, Chris, what do you think about the way that they uh, – the, the the game of hockey is actually played and how it's officiated and how it's kind of regulated. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to real quick to hear what you have to say, Chris. Think about the trash talking compared to other sports. I, I do think there's a bit of, uh, I guess you'd say, privilege when it comes to hockey. I think right. that hockey's a cult in many ways, the way that it's followed as a sport. And there's really a there's really a certain culture that follows hockey. Like even Pittsburgh, a lot of my friends don't care about about hockey. Like, like it's like if the Penguins are good, they would they, they they'll watch. But you know, and people and people get on us for that. They'll say, "Oh, Pittsburgh's not a real sports town. They do their front runners, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff." But it's because we're Steelers fans, legitimately. Like, for half the season, we're watching football or even talking about the draft because that's just how diehard we are. So when it comes to that, when it comes when it comes to like the Penguins, it's like what well, we already have the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's all really any Pittsburgh sports fan needs to get through the year, but it's nice to have the Penguins. The Penguins. It's nice to have the Pirates. And when they're doing well, even when they're not doing well, we still go to their games. We still, like, you know, hey, you know, go this team, and we still root for them. But, I mean, you saw in droves, game five, they were, I mean, I, I've never seen something like that, unless it's, like, for, like, the, you know, for the, the United, United States team that's in, like, the Olympics or something, people watching outdoors. It was a festival here in multiple parts of the city here in Pittsburgh. I mean, it was, the town was shut down. When I got when I was able, I had to go to a networking event right after my job. And when I was leaving that, I got in a car with some friends. We had we headed to our, one of our favorite bars, you know, you know, you know, to to go watch the game. And on our way there, people were speeding recklessly. People were driving crazy. There were accidents. There were it was just like there was like a, a serious buzz that was about this town because people just wanted to see these Penguins win. Um, and uh, it, when it comes to that that culture out, outside of the general popul- population, there's really only that small culture of people that really enjoy hockey. So that culture, people, the, the culture that keeps going, the people that keep going, they pay the tickets, they pay for the the deals to watch all the games. You know, you know, that's the culture that drives the sport. Right. And in that way, and those people, they like the old ways. They like the fights. They like to see that kind of stuff. And there's, there's, there's just definitely stuff too, especially when you like macho, when macho guys are watching. I mean, yeah, you want to see your player kick someone's ass. And deep down, <laughs> who doesn't want, want to see it? Who wouldn't want to see Ryan Shazier go out or Cameron Hayward go out and just slam Vontae perfect? Like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if we're being real, guys do want to see that. Now, you don't want to see that as a responsible as a responsible human being because people can get hurt. People can, can really can really get hurt, and it encourages violence. 
and violence is, is, you know, is not something to have, especially when you see something as horrible that happened over this weekend in Orlando. But as a sports fan in hockey, I, I, you know why it appeals, because people want to see that see that happen. And the trash talk, I'm okay with the trash talking, honestly, Bryce, because some of the stuff they do say, they actually say is really funny. I, I forget which team it was, but if you watched, uh, Canada had like a, a, a highlight compilation of the year that they aired, you know, kind of like the, their version of One Shining Moments at the end of the NHL season, and it aired, and we, one, there was one trash talk where, like, the teams were going back and forth between their benches, and one guy said, hey, you want to borrow some, some, some of my, some my beard to put the hair on your head? And the other guy was like, hey, you want to borrow some of my skill? And it was like, ooh, and it was like, that kind of stuff. It's like you enjoy seeing that kind of stuff because it's like these guys are spirited, they're fighting, and they're, they're, they're really going after it. And at the end of the series, they got to shake hands. And, 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 that's, uh, and that's something that I think that is so cool. Now, I do think there's a double standard because if you fight in the NBA, I mean, Draymond Green, people are calling him dirty because he, you know, he, he's kicking people. And he, he, he is kicking people with Johnson. I think they didn't, that needs to chill. Um, but, you know, in hockey, you're celebrated if, if you're fighting. You're, and I think it's because of that culture. I think there's, there's, a little, there's a lot that goes into that socially and it also goes in that, in that culturally as well, the different atmospheres of the sport because – Hockey, there's only certain there's only certain people that play that. You know, you know, most people from down south, they don't need to mess with hockey. Why? Because it's hot. And who goes skating? You know, it's like that's that right. kind of thing. Now in Minnesota, I understand in Minnesota, if you go to high school in Minnesota, you you're probably gonna at least try out for the hockey team. Um, so there's you know, there, there's different types of things and I just think in the old culture of hockey because it's not a top sport, you know, it's not as highly watched, you know, football if something happens in football, we're all talking about it. Why? Because football is, is, is American, just like baseball was, has been American for so long. And even basketball is getting to the point. They're not at nearly at, foot, at football. Status, but basketball has gotten to the point where everyone does stop to see, you know, great players, legendary players play this game because anyone can play basketball. You, all you need is a hoop, a, a hot day, and a, and, a, and a basketball, and you can go, go there. But hockey, you need, you, need, you need all these different pads. You need skates. You need ice. You need all this different stuff. You need hockey sticks, you need goalies. There's so, there's so many different elements to hockey, and it's so difficult for people to play. So not as many people are going are gonna to connect with it at a young age. But, you know, I connect with football. I connect with, 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 with baseball. I connect with basketball because those are things that at a young age, it's, you know, anyone can, can play. You can probably find a cheap league to put your kid in to, to get the experience. But hockey takes a bit of an investment. So I think that these old traditional ways that have stuck with hockey as a as – a, but sort of back American sport, you know, because really it's a, it's a Canadian, it's, it's, you know, more Canada and Russia originally. But um, but as far as American, you know, we're, we're used to that kind of tough, gritty, you know, this game isn't being that watched, so it's not nearly as highly regulated because it's not watched as much as football or basketball or baseball. But now you see that just with the, with the rise in social media and the rise in media in general, more people are able to watch hockey. And as that happens, you know, after I forget what, what help me out, Jeff. Which fight was it that Mario Lemieux uh, wrote a letter to the league and he was like, "This has to stop because it's just it was just atrocious." Do you remember which fight that was? It wasn't a fight. It was a game between the Tens and the Islanders that racked up, I think, well over 140 penalty minutes in the entire game. I think something like that. Um, and he wrote a letter to the league saying, "You've got to control the game better." It's like I think there were six players that were ejected from the game on both sides. Like, it was insane. At the end of the game, it was basically you had enough for a, a line of players and maybe a couple subs, that was it. Right. And it's, with, with, that, with that situation, you know, hockey, 
there hasn't been a call for that. I mean, people have said it, but there hasn't been a strong call for that from the public because the people that really watch hockey didn't like that stuff. They grew up if you if you if you know hockey and you you played hockey, that's part of how you were taught to play the game. And, and you know that culture never went away because it's not on ESPN. I mean, even if you go to like if you look at Mike and Mike in the morning, like this, I, I sometimes listen to them, you know, on my podcast when I'm going to work or I'm or I'm I'm, I'm moving around or if I catch them on the TV before I leave out the house. Um, they, they they barely talked about the Stanley Cup. I mean, they were talking about the you know uh, you know OTAs more than they were talking about the, the Stanley Cup final. And it's not because they don't like hockey, but they literally said at one point that someone asked them, "Why aren't you talking about the Stanley Cup finals?" It's because our ratings go down. No one cares as much about this. You know, it, it, you know, there's it, it, just the number of people that get into hockey and look out for hockey programs. They're low, and so that takes away the dollars, then which takes away the coverage. And with the coverage gone, goes goes. I think the strict the strict regulation. Whereas the NFL, I mean, every every week we're talking about who 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 hit someone dirty. Who did this and what rules we regulate? We need to do head safety. You got the concussion movie. You know, there's not nearly anything like that for the NHL. And I think, I think that it's gonna it's gonna continue that way. I think, like I said, because technology's advanced, I think the sport is advanced, and I think more people are talking about it. And it's opened up the opportunity for more people to at least watch hockey if they have a team a team that represents their city or their their favorite region. And they're like, oh, oh snap, I, I can watch this sport. What's this? Oh, what's a power play? Oh, that looks oh, that looks crazy. And these guys are fighting. You know, there's a lot more things that people get to see. And now you're starting to see that tighter regulation. But I think that's why it, it is it, it is right. Um, you know, and, and there's definitely there's a lot of people that you know they would call a tough guy in hockey if you fought, and they call you know if if LeBron James went and punched someone in the face, you know they'd call him a thug. You know, there's definitely different things there about that. Uh, but I think part of it is just the way that the sport has been raised and the people that have liked that sport compared to people that like the the the, the large different diversity uh diverse backgrounds that like the other sports. Yep, makes sense to me. Well thanks guys. Always good talking with you. It's great stuff. Thanks a lot. Thanks no for problem, Bryce. Right. Thanks for calling in. All right then. All right, so we don't have a lot of time left, Chris. We went over our allotted time, but we always give a little cushion anyways. Um there's something I wanted to talk about, and I think you'll enjoy this. Um, we're, I, I guess essentially we're going to we're going to skip over the pirates. It's not a teed off segment. It's, it's my chance to talk, but it's not a teed off segment. Um, but uh, we'll skip over the pirates on a five game losing streak. They just got swept by the Cardinals. I don't feel like getting mad. I'm happy. Let's keep it that way. So, yep. with, the, with what I want to say, I want to talk about the city of Pittsburgh. Um, yep. And I, I just I read a beautiful column by uh, Dayon Kovacevic from DK Pittsburgh Sports today. Um, and it talked about it. The title was "Go Ahead and Touch It," and that was about the, the Stanley Cup. And it told the okay. story about Crystal Tang and his son. And his he told his son, he, "It's okay. Go ahead and touch the cup. Like you can do that." And he talked about the team and the players, but then he talked about the city. Um, and he talked about how the city of Pittsburgh and, and you being one of those people that are in the city. I, I guess I want to speak a little bit about what Pittsburgh means to people that aren't in the city. And you're talking to a guy that grew up in, in a small town of Wheeling, West Virginia. And it's in the northern panhandle of, of Wheeling. It's about 45 minutes to an hour out of Pittsburgh, depending on traffic. Um, I went to Pittsburgh a good bit as a kid. But West Virginia has no uh, professional sports team. So my father was a diehard Pittsburgh fan, and that's where I followed suit. Um, and then, obviously, my studies took me to the eastern panhandle of West Virginia, 
Um, and then uh, my marriage brought me to Maryland and where I currently live in Hagerstown. And I, I guess what I want to say is that I've never lived in Pittsburgh. I've never been able to say I'm from Pittsburgh. I've been able to say I'm from Wheeling, which is close to Pittsburgh, to give people kind of like a roundabout view of where Wheeling is. Most people don't know. And um, Pittsburgh is not just a city. And I think that pe- pe- people that are fans of the team, they, they realize this. But when you follow all three teams, you really get it. Um, Pittsburgh is not just where you're from. It's not just who you root for. It's, it's who you are. Um, the, the Penguins, the Steelers, and the Pirates are a part of as part of as big as much a part of me as uh, you know my job and, and what I do in my free time. I mean, it, it's almost like a, they're like a part of my family. It's like they're three of my children that I have to watch after, that I have to look after, that I have to follow, and make sure they're doing things the way that I want them to. And it's because I'm so invested. Um, in, in, in the article that DK wrote, he talked so much about how the city needs that. The city is so much bigger than the 412 area code now. It is, it's, it's unbelievable. And when you go outside of Pittsburgh, outside of Pennsylvania, and you just see all these fans, it's like you're in a giant fraternity. Now, I was in a fraternity in college. I know what that was like. It was pretty cool. But when you're a member of the Pittsburgh fraternity and you wear your colors around, which I do every day, and you see people mm-hmm. in the grocery store, you see people in the mall, and you see people out and you honk your horn or you just yell, go Steelers or go Bucks. it's amazing. And I can honestly say I don't know if any other fan base is like this because I've never been a part of one, but the city of Pittsburgh is in everybody that follows this team closely. And whether you've never been to Pittsburgh, I've, I've talked to people online that live overseas. They've never been, they've been to the United States. They've only been to, like, Washington, D.C. They've never even seen, driven by Heinz Field, let alone go to watch a Steelers game. But they live and die by it, wherever they are, wherever they're watching. Yep. I wasn't out. Of, I wasn't at Console Energy Center or out in Shady Side or you know wherever you were in Pittsburgh for the the game five and game six. I was sitting on my couch, just like clenching my fist, like like I, I don't know if I can take this. I don't know if I can tolerate <laughs> this stress. But that's what that's what it's all about. And so um, from an outsider, I just want to kind of say that like Pittsburgh is not where you're from. It's who you are, and it's the way you act, oh, and man. it's. And it's the, the way you carry yourself. And that's why I'm super proud after the Penguins raise the cup, as the Steelers get ready to roll, and even as the Pirates continue to piss me off, I'm super proud to, be, to say that I am a Pittsburgh fan and that ultimately we're all from Pittsburgh if you say that. So that, that's my little soapbox, Chris. You can say whatever you want to finish up the show. Oh, man, that made me cry, Jeff. Oh, so sad. <laughs> so proud of everyone's pride, no, man. But but in all realistic, you're you're exactly right. To compound upon that, I am from Pittsburgh, born and raised. I love every bit of it, you know. And that's there's a a very much a pride sense about it because there's a lot of things about Pittsburgh that are tough to swallow at times. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of racism that goes in Pittsburgh. That goes with a lot of places. But it's me. I know I'm I'm a I'm a black man, and I've seen a lot of black people have problems with staying in Pittsburgh because there's a lot of there's a lot of issues there. And at the you know at the, at at the heart of Pittsburgh, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of struggle. There's a lot of a lot of where we come from is we're we're, we're a hard working town, and the sports kind of emanated that. The Steelers really captured that in the seventies of what this town really was about about everyone, and then even the Pirates with the We Are Family, everyone coming together to get to to get after what we all want to get after, which is achieving greatness. And in sports, greatness is easy to define by looking at a, a championship, but in life. You know, it's so. It's there are so many different things you want to achieve: prosperity for your family and for your community. And that's something that 
I think that people in Pittsburgh do strive for and, and work for every day, and um, it's something to be proud about. And that's seen all across the country. I mean, the Steelers have captured that. I went to Arizona to watch the Steelers play the Cardinals in Arizona in University of Phoenix Stadium about four years ago, and it was just spectacular because when I was in there, Jeff, I mean, there were more Steelers fans than Cardinals fans. Could not believe it. And when I was there, I was just looking around like, wow, this is insane. And the guy next to me, I was talking to my sister and I were sitting together, and this guy was sitting next to, next to us, and, he, and we asked him, like, well, why are you a Steelers fan? You're from Pittsburgh. He's like, nope. Uh, my, 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 you know, I have grandparents that are from Pittsburgh, but we've been out here all my life. But I was raised to be a Steelers fan, and I always loved the Steelers because of what they represented. And, I mean, it, it goes so much deeper than just winning because a lot of people don't know, you know, as, as many problems as Pittsburgh has, it also has a lot of great history when it comes to breaking racial barriers. I mean, you know, when you have the Negro League, the Pittsburgh Crossfords and the Homestead Grades are two of the greatest teams of the Negro League era, and they had some of the greatest players in Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige, um, you know, and, and that's in, that, in, in the sports. A lot of people don't know Art Rooney donated lots of money, you know, you know, and, and, and privately. He didn't, he didn't just – he wasn't loaning. He was just giving money to the owner of those teams to try and keep them afloat because he loved seeing Pittsburgh sports be, be successful, which those two organizations were. The Steelers were one of the were the first team to hire a black assistant head co- or assistant coach in the NFL uh, back. I think it was like the, in the mid to late '60s. Uh, you know, the Steelers also became the first team to name a black quarterback as their starter at the beginning of a season in Jefferson Street Joe Gillian. Then later. They, they took Bill Nunn, and they were one of the teams – they were like the team that really focused on historically black colleges and universities as a, um, as a point to uh, recruit from in the NFL, and that exposed it to the world. And then everyone, you know, like Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, and all these other guys came out, of, came out of HBCUs and became elite, and then that talent sort of got exposed. But it was hidden for so many years, and they went to the, uh, the editor, Bill Nunn, who was the editor of the uh, Pittsburgh Courier, the the the, the oldest black, black newspaper in the United States um, at the time, and one of the biggest reporters of black news in the history of the United States? Um, they, they went to they went to the editor because he wrote about HBCU guys all the time. And there's there's so many really cool tidbits of information that have that that are out there. But it's not just information. That's really people's lives back then. I mean, you know, it's it's that kind of stuff touched and opened doors for a lot of people, and it was just in the sports realm, but it meant a lot, and it it, it was it's such an amazing thing. And when you go anywhere, you feel that love. I I wore Roberto Clemente. I was walking around in Las Vegas. I got so much. Love. I had people walking up and taking pictures with me, Jeff, because I had a Roberto Clemente mm-hmm. shirt on, and it's because of who Clemente represented. He was he was the great one. I mean, I was I was I, I really I mean. I was having a good time too. I was I was on a really hot run in crafts. I felt like I was rolling rolling the dice for for like over an hour, um, but uh, it was a it was a really it was a really hot run. But the the guy the guy at the table just kept saying the great one rolled again. And, but it was also like everyone was around like you're really from Pittsburgh? Oh, that's awesome, man! And it's like you know I'm a I'm you know I love Roberto Clemente, but I also love the Steelers and da 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 da. It's like there's that love that you feel everywhere, and that's part of what Pittsburgh is. It's just there's so much love for it when you're actually from here and you actually grow to love it. So uh, I feel you, Jeff. It's not about where you're from. It's about who, who you are. And uh, there's, I'm just, I'm glad, I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm glad to continue to be a part of it because I think we still got a lot more fun ahead of us as far as sports goes. But there's also some really bright days ahead for Pittsburgh, the, the actual city. 
Absolutely. And I want to finish this. I know we didn't talk about the Pirates. I'm actually going to be at a Pirates game next week. I think I'm going to be at the, the day game against the Giants. Yep. I'm going to be back in my hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia, Father's Day gift. My son, myself, and my dad are going to catch that day game at PNC Park. If you're listening and you're going to be at the game, hit me up on Twitter, at BNG Blitz. Uh, I'd be happy to, to, to meet you, talk about some sports. Maybe if you have questions about the website or anything like that, that would be awesome. Chris, take off work. Go to the ball game. Be great. I'm sure there's – it's Garrett Cole bobblehead <laughs> night too, by the way. So uh, keep that in the back of your mind. But for everyone listening out there, it's been a great episode. Uh, super proud of the Pens. I think you'll echo that sentiment, Chris. Uh, thanks for listening. Chris, thanks for your time. We'll see you next time on the Black and Gold Blitz. Bye. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay, and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button? The Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.